Hello. My name is Clay Edwards, and I have been um, here in Kansas City for five years this February. Um, part of the Night Watch, um, I've come to call Kansas City my home. I so enjoy it here. And over the past um, five years, my heart has done a 180, I should say, concerning the things of the Lord um, and how I approach the Word, how I approach life, how I approach the knowledge of God. Um, he's met me a couple of times, as I'm sure He has you, which is why you're sitting in these chairs. Um, I count it a privilege um, and a blessing to be with you all this afternoon. Um, we're going to be talking about revival um, in three different um, spheres of revival. The first being um, just individual, inward um, revival, to have an alive heart in God. The second being that of corporate revival, um, which would be more on your city church um, level, uh, like a, a geographic region. And then the third would be, uh, excuse me, global revival, which is where we're all headed, which is where the um, entire globe is in one accord, ultimately crying out for Jesus's return. Um, so let's just pray before, before we go there. Lord, we love you. God, we ask for you to come. Lord, that you would breathe upon our weak and broken words. Lord, and you would put your power behind them. Lord, that you would awaken hearts. You would revive hearts. Lord, that we, or this afternoon, Lord, would get a vision of where we're going. Lord, our destiny in you. God, I ask that you would give us the hope of your calling for our lives. Lord, we, we love you. God, I ask that you would give us the grace, Lord, to have ears to hear. God, I ask that you would give us the grace to have soft hearts. Lord, that at the mere reading of your word, Lord, our hearts will move. Lord, and at the mere proclamation of the name of Jesus, Lord, tears would come. Lord, that we would be alive on the inside. Lord, that we would not be numbered among those that are walking but, but asleep. Those that are walking but dead on the inside. Lord, you have made a way for us to have life and life abundantly. Lord, we love you. We invite your presence even more upon our hearts and upon our frames. 
Lord, you're so good. You're so kind. You're so patient. Lord, we run to you. Lord, we love you. Amen. Again, those three spheres or dimensions of revival would be uh, inward, individual, life, revival. We've all encountered this multiple times throughout the course of our walk with the Lord. The second being corporate, a geographic region where the Spirit is poured out in an unprecedented way and whole cities and whole regions come to know Jesus. And the third being where we're going with one voice crying out lovesick for His return. Let's look at that first one. Revival in the heart. We, um, like I grew, I grew up in the church, and I and uh, have a wonderful family, wonderful parents, um, a good solid church that I grew up in. Uh, but I grew up bored. I believed in Jesus. I believed in God. But I was bored on the inside. 25 minute to 30 minute sermons were about as long as I could take. Uh, I grew up Southern Baptist. Um, so we would have the hymn, the welcome, two hymns, the offering, one more hymn, announcements, and then the 25 minute sermon, you know, the invitation, then we were going to eat. Uh, that was, that was, that was the Christian life that was put before me. That's all I knew. That's all we all knew. That's, I thought that's what my portion in life was. I thought that's what my destiny was in the Lord. Um, I was a good kid. I didn't want to go and do, um, you know, the worldly thing. I didn't want to go drink. I didn't want to go, you know, party. I had no desire to do that. So I thought my other alternative was just to be bored. To be a little gr grumpy at times uh, in the name of righteousness and in the name of being holy. Uh, and then um, I read this book by John Piper called Desiring God. And he talks about happy holiness. And he talks about delighting yourself in the Lord. And he talks about having, um, that it's our, it's not just our invitation, but it's actually a command from the Lord to delight yourself in the Lord. That it is the way we should carry our heart. It is the way we should walk. Um, we've all been to the summer camp where we get jazzed. We get energized, we, re we, we recommit, we rededicate, we're going hard. We're going to do it this time. Uh, and many of you may be even feeling that now with that underlying, oh, I hope it takes this time. Like I really want it to go the distance this time. 
Um, I'm here to tell you that that is going to be uh, the way you walk your entire Christian life. There is a continual roller coaster ride, but what you don't see is that each time you go higher and higher and higher. Like we, you don't have to come to a conference, nor do you have to go to a summer youth camp to to get on fire for God. We're going to go through seven steps, not at all um, in and of themselves like complete. There's many different things, but seven brief things that you can do when you're home, alone, and you feel dead and bored on the inside. When you feel yourself in two weeks and in three weeks the, the the pain of reading the word and just being dead. We're going to look at seven different things. Your portion in life and what the Lord has for you is that when you read the word, that it would move you on the inside. That you would discover the knowledge of God, that you would find him. It's not too abstract And it's not too out there to attain. My goal in life is to be 75. And when I sit down and I open my Bible, I still have tears that come. That through the course of my life, bitterness has not set in. Ungratitude and ungratefulness has not set in. But I still have a thankful, grateful heart. For my Savior, my King, and my God. And it starts today. It started 10 years ago. It started 15 years ago. We're all on this journey and it's a continual process. Let's look at that first, those first, uh, the first out of the seven is repentance. Revelation 2. 4 and 5 says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Okay, just a brief note on repentance. Uh, repentance is not something you do once and then you check it off your list and you keep on tracking on. It is forever, or at least till it comes. As long as sin is around, we will be repenting. Like, and we're called to, and it's actually a gift of the Lord. Okay? We repent the day we got saved. Tomorrow, I am positive, I will have something I need to repent for. Do I like that fact? No. But that's just true. We're still struggling with sin. Okay? But the Lord, in His kindness and in His mercy, comes up with this thing called repentance where we can approach the throne of grace and go, Father, I've sinned. Forgive me. And He does. The next day, Father, forgive me. And I'm not, I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm not talking about we have to 
as repentance for sin for every time we sin to gain salvation. I'm talking about to have an alive heart in the Lord. You do. When you have deliberate sin in your life that remains unrepented of, it will eat away at your heart. And it will rob you of what your portion is. I'm not talking about your salvation being lost, but I'm talking about what the Lord has for you in this age. So step one is to repent today and tomorrow and the next day. And then as soon as we do, we stand before him as a first class citizen, no matter what we've done in the grace of God, he looks at us and sees the blood of his son. And goes, not guilty. Forgiven. It, you're clean. And as a result, our hearts become alive in Him. We find confidence in who He is and His affections for us. We don't have to pay penance. We don't have to do A, B, and C. When I say pay penance, I mean we don't have to go, okay, I'm going to do the two-week Bible study plan, and I'm going to fast seven days, and I'm, and I'm going to uh, you know, read my Bible five hours a day, and I'm never going to watch the television show ever, ever again. Like we do those things. I still do those things. And the Lord is asking us to only go to him if we want an alive heart, and we do, and go, Father... Forgive me. I confess my sin before you. And instantly your heart will feel liberated and alive. And he's so kind and he's so gracious and patient with us. He does it every time. He's, it's done. It's done. And so we move on. More confident in his affection for us. The second is remembering the goodness of God. Just one more note on repentance. There, there is a big difference between just our weakness and having deliberate sin in our life. Weakness is your heart is set towards righteousness each and every day. And you wake up and as you're going about your day, you fall off the track. Because you just get a little distracted. Then as soon as you do, you repent and you press on. Okay, we all we are all the weak ones. I'm the weak one. Okay, we still struggle with sin. Deliberate sin is a whole different category. That's when we plan our sin. That's when we um, collaborate with our friends to go sin. Okay, that means our heart towards the Lord and towards sin is in an entirely different category. And I encourage you, if you have deliberate sin in your life, that you are claiming the grace of God 
but you're not dealing with it, I encourage you to go before the throne of grace and ask him how he feels about the deliberate sin in your life. The Lord is not ever nonchalant or lackadaisical concerning sin in our lives. There's so much grace, but grace, true grace, enables us and empowers us to move past our sin. If we are walking in grace, we're moving and we're maturing. Grace is a divine empowerment given by the Lord to actually say yes to wholeheartedness and to righteousness and no to wickedness. That is true grace. That's your that's the biblical definition of grace. Okay? Um, I encourage you to examine those areas of deliberate sin because the Lord is not pleased with areas of deliberate sin in our lives. And to have an alive heart, to have a heart that is revived, to have a heart that is alive, we must repent with full intention of never doing it again. Sincere intention of never going back again. Though we may, because we're weak, but as soon as we do, what do we do? We repent again with full intention of never going back again. And then over the course of months and years, we develop a hatred for sin and a love for righteousness. So the way we were created to walk um, as far as loving righteousness and hating wickedness begins to take fruit. And we begin to find freedom from the things that grip our hearts. So the first being repentance. The second being remembering the goodness of God. Lamentations 3, 19 through 24. Um, for time's sake, I didn't want to read Revelation, or excuse me, Lamentations verses 1 through 18. You should go do that sometime. Because there we have the guy who is just lamenting. He has the perfect woe is me attitude. He is down in the dumps. Um, he's in the pits of despair. Uh, he is at the end of his rope. And then verse 19 through 24 happens. And there is a shift in the entire chapter and the mood of the entire chapter because of these verses. Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. So this is what I do. I recall to mind, therefore, I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Whenever I am in a bad mood, uh, a funk, whatever you want to call it, I'm ticked off, um, the best way out is to open your word. The Psalms are the easiest. And begin to sing and proclaim the goodness 
of God. Though you don't feel it, and though at the time you don't believe it, there is something to declaring of His kindness and His goodness in the midst of not feeling it that unlocks our hearts. The second half of Lamentations 3, he goes off on the knowledge of God. So the first half is, woe is me, then it is 19 through 24, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord is great in mercy, he's slow to anger, and he just goes off on the knowledge of God. And then the rest of the entire chapter, he begins to proclaim of of who the Lord is. Because he did, verse 19 and 20. When I feel oppressed, when I don't feel like leading worship on the night watch at 2 a.m., the best thing I can go do is go sing of his faithfulness over me, get my eyes off my own self and upon him and go, you're good. You're good. You're good. I don't have to have any verbose language. I don't have to be very articulate. I can just mutter, weak, uh, half-hearted, half in unbelief, you're good. You're good. Because it's not about me, it's about him, and he shows up. If you stick with it, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, and then he's going to show up, and then you're not going to even remember why you are in that mood most of the time in the first place. First being repentance, the second being remembering the goodness of God, the third being prayer, asking the Lord. Psalm 51.10 Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Psalm 138, 7-8 Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. Psalm 143.11 Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake, for your righteousness' sake. Bring my soul out of trouble. I love, I mean, this is a given for sure, but prayer has to be the foundation. Like, we cannot revive ourselves we can try to, we're blue in the face, but at the end of the day, all we're going to be is blue in the face. Like We cannot muster up the energy to be revived. We cannot beat on our chest hard enough to have an alive heart outside of the Lord's doing. So we go before Him and go, Lord, here I am, weak, broken, and a little confused, and a little depressed. Awake my soul. Revive me. Make me alive on the inside. The fourth dimension after prayer would be fasting. Fasting is no fun. If you've tried it, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it's hard, um, but you, you develop a, um, a like-dislike does that mean love-hate relationship with fasting? Because your stomach is so hungry, but then your heart becomes alive. 
I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's the way he set it up. If you've never tried it, try it. Miss a meal when you're at school and go read your Bible in the hallway as opposed to going in and chatting with your friends over lunch. And do that for a couple of days and just see. If you don't believe me, what, what's, what's it going to hurt you? You'll save a couple of bucks for lunch. Like, go and give it a shot and see what it does to your heart. It's not about earning anything from the Lord, but it's about putting yourself before Him and go, here I am. Let me feel your affection for me and your heart. Every time I do it, I don't do it near enough. I, I'm, uh, I definitely have that love-hate relationship with fasting. Every time I, I just go for it in weakness, my heart becomes alive. And I read the Word, and, and it makes sense. Not up here, not, not, not in my head, but in my heart. Somebody asked me what I read, I'd be like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but it moved me. I discovered the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is more about heart than about your head. It's more about um, having your heart expand in that which is unsearchable and uncreated and not like us than having your mind wrap around some concept. Because our minds cannot wrap around God because he's not a concept. Just try fasting five the fifth would be reading the Word. Grow to love reading the Word. You do not have to have uh, a degree in seminary to sit down. It's the genius of God to sit down and go teach me, instruct my heart, and begin to read. Studying the Bible is not lofty. It's not too grandiose. The seven-year-old can do it. The 77-year-old can do it. Anyone can do it, given you can read. Sit down and read the Word and see and do it for an extended period of time. Don't give it a couple of days. Give it months and years and see what happens at year five. It really does take time. It really does take time. Sit down and read it and your heart will become alive at the most Seemingly elementary things like God is good. That is enough to mess your heart up for a couple of days. When you read the word and you come across Psalm 145 and you get to verse 8 and it's the Lord is gracious. Oh, that's enough if your heart's alive. The Lord is good to all, and he's slow to anger. 
Like those are the deep things of God. You want to go deep in the knowledge of God. You give yourself to those things. We still think God is distant, unremoved, and a little mad at us. So things like the Lord is gracious, the Lord is good, and He's near to those who call upon Him are the deep things of God that will speak to the depths of who we are if we just give it time. Your friends will be around you. They'll think you're a little off and a little crazy because you you won't be able to. You'll be just in tears. You'll be like, he's good. And I'm like, I know he's good. No, you don't get it. He's good. I know he's good. No, he's good. He's really good. You won't have language for it because it's not about language. It's about a heart response. No, no, he's really, really, re- really, really good. And at the end of the day, that's the deepest things you can say about God. You don't have to write poetry, and you don't have to be a preacher who can give you the four points. You just want to have conviction. And if you have an alive heart when you, when you say, the Lord is good, your heart will become more alive, and others around you would be going, no, they're right. He is, he is good. He is near. And it's the, it's the genius of God to set it up in such simple ways. And it's the humility of God because it makes it available to you and I, for sure. A couple of verses for reading the Word. Psalm 119, the entire chapter, over and over again. He's like, revive me according to your Word. Revive me according to your Word. John seven thirty-seven and 38, on the last day of the feast... Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Like most of the time that's applied to being saved, but it applies now as well. Who, well, when you initially get saved, that excitement you have that energy you have on the inside. That's what we're called to walk in all our days. We've all had friends get saved, but then after three weeks, we've kind of invited them all into our own boredom Christianity. But we're not called to walk bored. We're called to walk. That feeling that you had when you first said yes to Jesus should be there and present today and tomorrow and the next day. And it should only increase. The scripture says, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. It should only increase and increase. And your heart should become more alive and more alive and more alive as opposed to duller and duller and duller. Reading the word is key to having a live heart. In the Lord. Luke 24. And again, reading the word is not, it's not about earning something from a stingy God. It's his kindness that he makes it so easy. We want him to speak to us. He did. And he does. He has, he provided us with a living word. If we would take time and read the thing. 
and just give him time to do what he does because he will. Luke 24, 27 through 32. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, this is talking about Jesus, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. This is talking about his disciples. Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight, and they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So what what took place was Jesus walks up to the disciples, and they're on this journey down the road, and he, um, let me get the exact, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So basically, they're walking with the disciples, and and Jesus goes to the Old Testament and expounds on the whole thing concerning himself. He goes to Isaiah 9 and gives them the perfect interpretation of Isaiah 9. He goes to Isaiah 63, Jeremiah, Exodus at the bush, and says, I was there, and, and, and gives them... The Old Testament survey of all Old Testament surveys by the man Jesus himself. And then they go and they eat, and then Jesus leaves, and their testimony after hearing Jesus' words is what? Did not our hearts burn within us as he spoke to us? As he spoke to us. Now we can go, that would just be so awesome if... Jesus walked through that door right now and took the mic from me and said, turn to Genesis. You wouldn't move. You wouldn't go anywhere if it was Jesus standing here. going, I'm, I'm about to give you to the Old Testament the interpretation. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to teach you. And your heart would burn within us. We can go, oh, for the day. Oh, for the day. But I've got news. Turn to John. Sixteen, five through seven. It's right before Jesus leaves. He says, but now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you, the helper referring to there is the Holy Spirit. A third of the Trinity that entered your frame in fullness when you said yes to Jesus. 
Jesus makes this bizarre statement. He goes, it is better for you if I go. Because I can send the helper. Colossians 1 talks all about Christ within you, the hope of glory. You have the fullness of, of God living inside of you. Jesus says it like this. It's better if I go and you have him who will be inside of you instruct you than having me stand in this very room. So we have access and the what we have available to us exceeds that of having Jesus in this very room going to Genesis, to Revelation. We have the Holy Spirit, like for real, inside of us, who searches the depths of who God is and makes them known to our hearts. Talk to Him and ask Him. Then the day is coming when Jesus will stand in the room and you'll have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And he will teach. And then you'll have the fullness of God bearing witness. That's to come. But right now, you have something greater than mere Jesus, no Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit to instruct you on the things concerning the Word of God. To make your heart come alive. Talk to him. Ask him. Ask the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? What are you saying? How do you feel? And then be quiet and give him time. And then read the verse again and then give him time. Say, breathe on your word, Holy Spirit. And he will. The sixth being talking to the Holy Spirit. In prayer, we have two different dimensions, and that's focusing on the throne. Revelation 4, okay, but then also talking to the Holy Spirit who is inside of you. Both are biblical. We do both. We want to continue to do both. Focusing on the throne, but also focusing and talking to the Holy Spirit inside of you. The seventh would be committing your way to the Lord. Just go into your hands. I give it all. I trust you. Your leadership is perfect over my life. And so my circumstance right now, I give it to you. Because I trust you. Because you're good. So the seven being repentance, remembering the goodness of the Lord. The third, asking. The fourth, fasting. The fifth, reading the word. The sixth, Holy Spirit communication, the seventh, committing your way to the Lord. And then the second dimension of revival, I'm just going to touch on because we're out of time, is corporate, regional revival. Now, if the whole church began to walk in those seven things, not perfectly, but with a heart that says, I want to, we would have corporate revival. We really would. I want to I read. Well, 
just to think of revival, because many of us don't have any grid for revival. Again, I grew up Southern Baptist, and uh, revival to me was the guy who came in with the mobile home and preached Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and then you had to go on Sunday as well, and that was revival was in town. That was my whole thought. That was my approach on what revival was. Well, having revival, and my heart would sink every time. Oh, no. <laughs> that means it's going to go a really long time, and uh, it's going to be every night. Um, so that was, like, my whole paradigm for revival. Um, but what the Lord has in store and what he's done in history, I encourage you to read historical books on revival and just see what happens. In summary, and in short, when revival breaks out in a city, the city gets turned upside down. Bars close because no one's going to them. Strip clubs close because no one's going to them. Um, Bibles are the number one seller, once again. Everybody is so hungry. The churches are filled, though nobody's called a church service. People just come. And ask the Holy Spirit to come. And then people get healed. And then so then everybody else runs and gets their, their sick friends and family and then brings them to the church. And then they get healed. Then it just spreads like fire. I love the fact that wickedness just goes down when the Lord shows up. That when a revival happens... We don't have to go picket the strip club. People just stop going because they have a distaste for wickedness and a love for righteousness. And then the third dimension being global, Revelation 22, and the Spirit and the bride say come. In one accord, Revelation 19, the bride has made herself ready. She's pure. She's spotless. She's without blemish. And she's making intercession for Jesus to come back. That's where you're going. If you stick around in this in this room, uh, I believe it's in this room, Benji Nolo is going to kind of start right there as far as and give you and talk more about the second dimension and the third dimension of revival. Let's pray. God, we Love you. You can all, let's just all stand. God, we say you're good. You're kind. God, we ask that you would awaken our hearts. God, we want to read your word and cry. Because we can't help it. Because you move us so, Lord, that it would not be old hat, Lord, to read Luke 2 concerning the incarnation. That we would stand in fascination and in awe of this man, Jesus. Lord, that you would blow our minds and move our hearts, Lord, as we read your word. Lord, give us the grace to walk in wholehearted abandonment and pursuit of the holy. God, I ask even now, these ones standing in this room, God, that you would continue to mark them, Lord, and give them the invitation. Lord, give them the grace, Lord, to respond. Lord, give me the grace, Lord, to respond.
God, we say you're good, you're kind. Lord, you are more committed to us than we are of you. Lord, you are more faithful to us than we are of you. It is your kindness, Lord, that even leads us to repentance. Lord, it is about you. Lord, you take weak, broken, prone to sin, prone to distraction human beings. Lord, and and you will make them bright and you will make them shining. You will conform them into the image of your son because you are so good and committed to us. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Lord, we bless your name tonight. Amen. Hold on. Hold on. One more thing. I'm just going to ask if you guys can exit out this door.